Hallelujah. Will you surrender to the King this morning? Amen. Let him be Lord of all your life, of all your heart. Amen. Surrendering yourself to him. Amen. Let's talk to him a moment. Jesus, what a privilege it is to be gathered in your name. And knowing that there have been worshipers who have risen in this day. True worshipers. Those that know the power of your resurrection. Those that know that that day of Pentecost, for they themselves have received their Pentecost, taken on the name of Jesus Christ, not only in water baptism, but by birth, birthed into the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, you'll bless your people as we see a bride that's in power rising up in this generation, a people called for your namesake. And I ask, Lord, that you'll minister to each one, Lord, today in the wonderful name of Jesus. Just minister life, Lord, to each one. I ask as we look into the word, Lord, just open up the word to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Amen. God bless you too. for being here this morning. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 16. And we'll read from the 11th verse. Man, good to have each one that are with us today, and we appreciate the Lord for His goodness. Amen. His mercy is to all generations. Amen. And we're here to bless His name this morning, to lift it high. Amen. To say He alone is worthy. Amen. So God bless you. Happy New Year to you that we haven't seen. It's been away. Those of you that are visiting this morning, we're happy to have you in the service with us. May God bless you. Leviticus 16, verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle with his finger upon the mercy seat Eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. We're going to speak today on the unveiled mercy seat. So, looking into this today, we have been speaking on the people of the book having returned to the land of the book. And uh, Brother Branham would tell us, and we'll be reading the quote again, how that the prophets of um, Moses and Elijah to the 144,000 will call them back, Israel, back to the original atonement. And then the prophet of Malachi 4 will do the same. He will call us back, the bride back, to the original atonement. 
is it's very important that we realize where we have been called back to, where our gathering together is. Um, as you will see uh, the um, background here again, I've chosen the, um, uh, the, 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 again, for the mural, for the background to be the priest looking in on the holies of holy, pulling back the veil. Because that's what God did for us in our generation is he has pulled back the veil in order that the mercy seat would come into plain view. Now, um, so we'll be speaking about that in, in, uh, as we minister along and just speak about the veil and, and what it did and, of course, um, how that it has been removed so that the mercy seat comes into plain view. I want you to understand the message of the hour does not do away with the mercy seat. Instead, it brings it into view. So if you wind up with a gospel that you're preaching that has no seat of mercy in it, then you're not preaching Paul's gospel, and you're not preaching what Brother Branham preached. So you're preaching your own ism, your own schism, there's something to divide the body of Christ. But, um, you know, um, if you remember, whatever you see in the Old Testament is a shadow of something happening to the New because the Old Testament would type the New Testament. Now, Christ was the sin offering. His blood was shed and was to be sprinkled before the mercy seat seven times. If you remember the blood of the sacrifice, this is the blood of the atonement, and it was sprinkled before the altar seven times. And for the gospel dispensation, that means that there is a blood atonement for all seven church ages. And we're living in the last of the church ages where we have returned back to the full atonement. And it has provided that so that we can come to full redemption. And that is even the redemption of our bodies. And remember, redemption is not in its fullness for us until our bodies are changed. Because though our soul has been redeemed, we still need our body to be redeemed. Amen? To be changed even as our soul has been changed. Now, that is... Uh, the, the redemption of our body. Now, redemption, as I said, is not over for the Gentiles because redemption is not finished yet. Redemption doesn't finish for the Gentiles until um, we, our bodies are changed, and then redemption isn't through. God isn't through doing his work of redemption. It continues right on to the Jews. And um, if, you'll, if you'll notice, it, it's wonderful when we look into Revelation 10 and you, you read all about God sending the seventh angel and his message and the thunders being revealed and come right on to prophesying again. And then Revelation chapter 11 opens up with and. And you hear the same angel now continuing on with the Jews as he had done with the Gentiles because we are in the hour of the finishing up of redemption. So um, we'll turn to Leviticus 16, 29. As we look here, this is the Feast of Atonement during the, the last of the seventh, uh, or excuse me, in the seventh month of the year where that they would have this a trumpets that would call them um, back 
and for the purpose of the atonement. So the trumpets will call Israel out of the nation. At the same time, God calls a bride out of the denominations where we have been scattered and went away in the, dis, in the diaspora. So in this dispersal, as the Jews went into the nations, the bride has been scattered out into the denomination. So what you see happen in the natural happens again with the spiritual Israel. Leviticus 16, verse 29, and this shall be a statue forever unto you that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and you shall do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And it shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls by a statue forever. So we're here in the end times where the trumpet sounds to gather Israel back to their homeland. And the seventh trumpet sounds for the purpose of revealing then the, uh, to the 144,000, the atonement that was made for them at Calvary. Now, the day of atonement, as we've been through, was a gracious day each year where all the Israelites could um, experience a new beginning by being cleansed from their sins and then restored to fellowship with their maker. And of course, this will be the day of atonement that they are called to under Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses in Revelation 11. And it will be for them a new beginning. And it will be where they're cleansed from their sin of unbelief and rejecting the Messiah and restored back to fellowship with their maker. As we read in verse 30, on that day shall the priests make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. So, as Brother Branham would say in the Feast of the Trumpets, I'd like to share this little quotation, just laying our, our foundation for the service today. He said, now the same as those two prophets did. Remember, the Gentile bride is to have a prophet called Elias, Elijah, that is to call them out of their traditions. Everybody say the word traditions. All right, so it's to call them out of their traditions. And, and he said, just the same as the, the prophets call the Jews out of Judaism to Christ the atonement. And the Gentile already knows the atonement. See, we know about Christ, and we know who the sacrifice was, and we, we know he died at Calvary. We know he was a sin offering. We understand all of that. But we already know the atonement, so we know who the atonement is. But it is to call the bride back to the original atonement. See, not just Jesus dying on the cross, but exactly what was in this original atonement. We have been called back to know the fullness of that atonement. Now, so he said it's to call the bride back to the original atonement where all these seven Sabbaths, speaking of the seven ages, that they got away from, called them back to the end time. So notice now, it was not to say that the atonement was finished. 
or the redemption is over, but rather to call us back to the original atonement, to bring that back into view again. What we could see exactly and really what Christ did for us and what the atoning blood, where it has made us and placed us as sons and daughters of God. And so it's, it makes us return, it makes that, the return to the original atonement necessary in order to be in a rapture. Now, remember Remember, the atonement is needed for the change of the body. Without the atonement, we have no change of the body. This is called in in Romans chapter 8, the redemption of our bodies. So you see, our bodies must experience the redemption provided by the atonement at Calvary. Now, no, no age has yet experienced this great redemption, the redemption of the body right? We are here in the last age called back to the original atonement to experience the atonement in its fullness. Instead of just a partial atonement, the fullness of that atonement. And the fullness of the atonement includes the change of our bodies, amen, and the meeting in the air. Now, so you see, this is necessary to return to the original atonement in order for there to be a rapture so that we would know the, the atonement in its fullness. Now, this is, it, it, it takes redemption. The blood is shown in Revelation 12. You remember in Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren is cast down. When he does, the bride goes up. And, and they tell them how they overcame the accuser. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and, not, and, and by not loving their lives even unto death, right? So they overcame and they're thus are raptured. They are saying, we are here by the blood of the Lamb. This is how we overcame him is by the blood of the Lamb. Now, so returning back to the original atonement is what has brought us again to a bright age. And that bright age is an apostolic age. The bright age is within the Laodicean age. We're we're called there out of Azusa Pentecost into the bride time or bride light or bride age and it's done by the messenger of the seventh church age. Amen. And it calls us out of of the Azusa Pentecostal age into the Pentecostal genuine. Because what we have seen exhibited in Luther and Wesley and and, uh, and Azusa Street was never yet the original Atonement, it was not the Pentecostal genuine. It was looking toward and, and getting a glimpse of the atonement and saw, as, as Luther would, he would see a, a glimpse of it and said, there's justification in there. And Wesley would have a glimpse of it and he would say, well, but there's also sanctification there. And then Azusa Street would pull a glimpse and say, yeah, but there's more to that that's in there. And each one of them would see their part. But it would be in this last day that the mercy seat comes into full view. Amen. So the message of the hour does not take away the mercy seat. 
it brings the mercy seat into full view. Now, the call of the trumpets is to bring Israel to the day of atonement, not to a new atonement, but to recognize the one they have pierced. And this is why they have been gathered. And, and again, the, the Gentiles have been called back to the promised land of the Bible, and not to a new atonement, not to some newfangled idea of now here's the way that mercy is and we got something different and he's no longer the high priest and there's no more blood that, that atones. Uh, but, but now some other way we are coming now through a woman, through a church, through what we call the bride. This is the way atonement is coming. All of that is nonsense. Amen. The atonement, we have been returned back to the original atonement to get Christ into full view to bring the bridegroom into full view to the bride in order that there can be a rapture. What an hour we're living in. Now in the Old Testament, the blood of the sacrifice was to be sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. Each year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest entered into the holiest of holies and sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of God's people. This blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. Notice that. I'd like you to turn with me to Hebrews 10 and verse 10. Because Jesus, as our high priest, did this very same thing. Look what he did in, in Hebrews 10 and 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, we don't need multiple lambs. Amen. We don't need to kill multiple bulls and goats because they could never take away sin. But this is the, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. We have a sacrifice that has been offered once and for all. Amen. It will cover all seven ages. Amen. It will atone for every name that's in the book, whether Jew or Gentile. Whoever they are, it will atone for them. And every priest standing daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, oh hallelujah, we can preach a whole sermon about this man. But this man, after he has offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. What a promise that is. One offering, one atonement, one blood to perfect forever them that are sanctified. So it is not a daily sacrifice nor a yearly sacrifice. And the Jews will not be given another Calvary, but rather they will be pointed back to that all-sufficient blood on the mercy seat. And our prophet does the same thing. He points to the all-sufficient efficacious blood of Jesus Christ that continues even now to atone for he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
I say, what a blood that shall never lose its power. Amen. It's never lost one bit of its power. Amen. It can save. It can heal to the uttermost. Amen. Now, the Bible would speak in the book of, in the, in, in the Bible would speak in the Old Testament of a mercy seat. This mercy seat is known as the place of atonement. So now when we are, when we're talking about the mercy seat unveiled, we're talking about the place of atonement unveiled. Where do you find mercy? Where do you find help? Who do you go to? Where, where do you approach unto? If you notice, we remember the invisible God. No man dared to approach. We'll read the scripture a little bit later. No man could dare to approach. But Jesus goes to be our channel of approach. This is why he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because he said, no man can come to the Father except by me. So the only way that you can approach the invisible God who is an intangible and is so holy that none dare to approach, amen, is through the man Christ Jesus and the offering of his blood. And that brings us reconciliation or atonement and, and enables us to enter into the presence of God through the man Jesus Christ. Now, so the mercy seat was a place of atonement. Is typed out. It would it would be uh, typed out as as wood that is overlaid with gold, and God would take humanity. He would take a body that He prepared. Come on, somebody, Amen. Overlay it with deity, Amen. To become the seed of mercy for us. Let me just go ahead and spill the beans. Jesus is the seed of mercy. Amen. The mercy seat is not some box in heaven. It's a person. It's just symbolized by this box. Amen. That God did this. He is, Jesus is that seat of mercy. And to do away with the seat of mercy is to do away with Jesus. Amen. Now, so you see, the high priest would, uh, would take this golden plate of perpetuation and sprinkled the seat seven times on the Day of Atonement. And this symbolically uh, reconciled Jehovah and his chosen people. Now, seven times because that is a type of, for blood to be for all seven church ages. If you have gone into another age, if you've already left Laodicea, uh, you've already got out of the seventh age. You've gone beyond the blood, and there's no redemption outside of the blood. Without blood, there is no redemption of the body. There is no rapture of the church because they are raptured by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. We Today, we still groan and travail in pain, and we're waiting for the redemption of the body. But our, our body change is dependent on the blood of Christ. Yes. Amen. Upon the mercy seat. Amen. Now, as we have said, the way he, they cast down the accuser, the way they ascended into heaven, here's how they overcame him. Here's how they ascended was by the blood of the lamb. 
So it's going to take the blood of the lamb to ascend, to be raptured. I'm I'm referring to Revelation 12. You can read it when you get home. But notice in the basis of fellowship, Brother Branham said, he said, now, I feel religious when I talk about this. Look, the next thing he had to look at, he had seven stripes of blood before him to show that seven stripes meant the seven church ages or the 7,000 years and every age had to be represented by the blood. Nothing else. No other way from Genesis to Revelation, from Eden to the millennium is the blood and nothing but the blood. Now, I know that was 1961, but this is 1965. Brother Bradham tells us in a thinking man's filter. He said, notice, then they entered the congregation under those seven stripes, the blood to show something died and went before them for their sin. They were separated by hearing the word, the waters of separation, then entered into fellowship. And the only way that God met a man was behind that order. He wouldn't meet him anywhere else. He had to come behind that order. God only met Israel in one place. And God only meets you today in one place. And that's in Jesus Christ. And he is the word, the waters of separation. And his blood was shed for all the seven church ages. And then by the Holy Spirit, that's the life of the blood, in it? The Holy Ghost. We enter into that fellowship which is only given to the church. So Brother Branham told us the blood is shed for all seven ages. Oh, aren't you glad to be a people under the blood? Hallelujah. Now, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. You've got to come under the blood, under Uh, to the original atonement. Now, Paul would tell us that in the temple, a veil separated the holiest of holies, the earthly dwelling place of God's presence. And from the rest of the, it separated a man, the rest of them uh, from where man dwelt, from where God dwelt. So there was a thick veil, and only the high priest was permitted to pass Behind this veil, once a year. I want you to get the picture. Only one time a year. He was a very privileged individual. The rest of the priests couldn't come. The people couldn't come. No one could dare to approach. And here he would go, have to go through washings and purging and personal sacrifices and to, to be made in a condition and then approach this holiest of holies. And when taking the blood of the atonement and there to sprinkle the, the altar seven times and pour the rest of the blood before the altar. Amen. Only a special class of people was allowed to go there. Amen. Now, so this, this veil was actually said to be 60 feet high. And, and Jewish tradition says it was four inches thick. Sixty feet high. Four inches thick. Jewish tradition says. This is what they passed down from generation to generation. This veil that separated and hid God. He was behind the veil, the Holy One. There's the kind of glory would dwell 
over this altar. This veil in the temple, that four-inch veil, if it was indeed four inches, whatever size it was, 60 foot high, they say, this veil in the temple was a constant reminder that sin renders humanity unfit for the presence of God. The fact that the sin offering was offered annually and countless numbers of sacrifices would be repeated every day. It showed clearly that sin could not be truly atoned for or erased by mere animal sacrifices. But Jesus Christ, through his death, has removed the barriers. No matter how thick, no matter how tall, no matter how big, he has removed the barrier by his death that barrier between man and God so that you and I can approach him with with boldness and with confidence. Amen. The prophetic gift of this end time. I want to get something to you. Try not to go to sleep on me. Listen close. The prophetic gift of this end time, prophet continually was pulling back that curtain. Pulling back that veil to let us see the high priest and not just see him, but touch him. I want you to understand, we don't have a God that can't be touched. This is why we had a Christmas. This is why God became on flesh. Come on, somebody. So that God could be touched. Amen. Notice See the discrepancy. He said, how many Christians here tonight know, according to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that Jesus right now, can we say it right now, is a high priest. Now, if he's a high priest, he's a lamb. Amen. Remember, he's symbolically shown that prophet is an eagle. Lamb is high priest. Right? And the lion is king. So he's prophet and priest and king. He'll be king in the millennium. He's our king now, but he's not the king of the earth yet. He'll be coming in Revelation 19, Lord of lords and king of kings. The word will then reign supreme over the earth. Right now, it's only reigning in a limited way on the hearts of those that will receive him. We receive the kingdom. But now, right now, he is a high priest. And the high priest can be touched by the feelings of our infirmity, is he? All right, if he's the same high priest, the same office, oh, listen to this, 1965, high priest, listen, even today, he is still in the office of high priest. Amen. He is the lamb. It was the lamb who took the book. Amen. It was the lamb that paid the price. It was in his office of priesthood as a high priest, as an intercessor, as a mercy giver, amen, as an issuer of grace, amen. It was that, listen, let me tell you, this message was a message of grace. It came saying grace upon grace upon grace. The capstone coming with grace. Are you with me now? He's a high, same high priest, the same office, high priest, 
How would he act then? He would act just the same as he did then. Do you believe that? He would act just the same as he did then, if you can believe that. How many believes that? Raise your hands and say, I actually believe it. How many actually believes it this morning? All right. So now, then Brother Branham would preach about the Melchizedek priesthood. And he would say, who is this Melchizedek? He was pointing that Melchizedek, the priest king, is here. Because he's not only priest, but he is king. Amen. He not only is lion, but our lamb, but he is lion. He's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, this is important. Remember now, in the, in the Old Testament, a priest was of the tribe of Levi. A king was of the tribe of Judah. A priest could not be a king, and a king could not be a priest. They could not mix the offices. Amen. There were two separate offices. Are you with me? Amen. Now, remember when a king tried to go in and offer incense and he was smitten with the leprosy because he was told, no matter how high and mighty you think you are, how great a man you believe you are, how great a king you have been, and how wonderful an office you have held, that is not your place to handle the word or the priesthood. Is that right? Now, so again, but in this, Jesus didn't come. Jesus didn't come in the lineage of Aaron. Jesus came in the order of Melchizedek, who is both priest and king. He is both lion and lamb. Hallelujah. Now, and who is this Melchizedek? Brother Brandon was pointing out that the priesthood is here. Amen, that the high priest is in effect. And he he describes who he is. He says he's King Theophany. Amen, he's King Priest. He is Melchizedek. Amen. Now, and at the end of his sermon, he said, if God will reveal to me your trouble, will you accept him as your atonement for that trouble? Notice he's still atoning as Melchizedek. I don't know what the trouble is, but I know and you know something's going on. Now, let me tell you what you're, how you're feeling, and then you'll know a real sweet, comfortable feeling. This is how the priest makes you feel. A real, warm, sweet, comfortable feeling. I'm looking right straight at it in that light, amber light. Hanging from that woman. Remember, remember just a moment. When Esther approached the king, now he was known as a lion. He was known, you interrupt his court for some frivolous matter and just come walking in on your own, you die. Amen. But I tell you, when Esther walked in, that lion turned to a lamb. Amen. And what Esther began to feel was a warm, sweet, comfortable feeling. Whatever you want, Esther. I'll even give you half of the kingdom. In other words, I'll share with you in your place as as a wife that half of it belongs to you. Whatever you need, just ask for it. Hallelujah. Brother, that's the way our king is. You come into his presence, oh, he just becomes a lamb. 
Hallelujah. Amen. He holds out the scepter and he says, come on in. Amen. Whatever you ask for, I'll do it. Just ask for half the kingdom, I'll give it to you. Ask anything you want and I'll give it to you. That's our king. Amen. That's Melchizedek. So the woman is suffering with a trouble in her stomach. He's letting us know the high priest knows. It's kind of gross like in her stomach. She's not from here. Sister said, right. No, you're away from here, aren't you? That's right. You're from Wisconsin. Is that right? Now you're healed. Your faith made you whole. Now tell me who the woman touched. I'm 25 yards from her. She touched Jesus Christ, the high priest. Do you believe that? Amen. Oh, hallelujah. If we can get people to see beyond the curtain. Hallelujah. Get a peek into there. You'll see a merciful high priest. You'll see someone who can be touched with the feelings of your infirmity that knows your situation. Can I read Hebrews 4 and verse 14? Seeing then that we have a great high priest. Seeing then, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, our confession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all point tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, oh now listen, let us therefore come, how? Boldly unto the throne. Come on now, church. Unto the throne of grace. A throne of grace is a throne, a throne of favor. Hallelujah. That we may obtain what? Mercy. And find what? Grace in our time of need. This is the reason for opening the veil where you can see you've got a high priest. If you're sick, you've got a high priest. If you're in need this morning, you've got a high priest. If you're discouraged and falling down and weary, I'll tell you, you've got a high priest. All we got to do is look beyond the veil and you'll see a high priest where then you can come boldly through the throne. And even if you deserve judgment and justice, find grace instead. In your time of need. Amen. So look at the original atonement. Look at the atonement that Paul preached. The mercy seat is described as a throne of grace. It is a place where mercy is obtained and grace is found when we need help. Now, and the message, remember, the prophet of Malachi 4 returns us back to the original atonement where Jesus sits on the right hand of God making intercession for us. Now remember, there's not two gods there. It is the visible approach to God. Jesus said, I am the way. No one can come to the Father except by me. 
You see, he was, he was that invisible God that none dared to approach. But Jesus made, became flesh in order to make the way of approach. So the only way we have an approach is through the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. 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 By the way, that's God. That's who he is. The Jehovah of the Old Testament Amen. is the Jesus of the New. Amen. Now, I want to read from Romans 8, verse 33. Because this is the Christ that Paul preached. This is the intercessor. Romans 8, 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. In other words, declares righteous. So who has a right? What devil? Come on, you've had the accuser this week. Amen. What person? Amen. Who can lay any charge, anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who declared you righteous. Amen. Amen. Who is he that condemns us? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who maketh, also maketh intercession for us. Amen. Remember, that's his present office. He is there making intercession for us. Now, because he lives. And because he's not like another, uh, the, other, uh, the other priesthood that dies and another takes his place. But it's an unchangeable priesthood. Amen. Now, Hebrews 7, 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. He used to say, you know, from the guttermost. To the uttermost. No matter how far you've been down in sin, he is able to save to the uttermost. That come unto God by him. That's the only approach to God is through Jesus Christ. Seeing he ever liveth. The reason he lives, somebody help me now, is to make intercession for them. Because he lives, I live. Because he lives, he makes intercession for me. Amen. Amen. For my weaknesses, for my mistakes, for my ups and downs, for your ups and downs. There's one who is ever living. He never dies. You remember a high priest, he would die and another would take his place and his son would take his place or another would take his place or another in that order would take his place. And you have many, many different high priests from the priest from Genesis down from Exodus where Aaron was instituted all the way down to the last high priest. Many different high priests. But we have one high priest. And he ever lives. He's not a dead high priest. But he ever lives. He's right here in this generation. Right now to this age. Somebody help me preach now. Right now to this time. To make intercession. Amen. For them. Oh, I'm so glad he lives for me. Amen. Hebrews 9 and verse 12. Amen. Notice Paul in this book of Hebrews said that Jesus is the way unto the holiest of holies where he sprinkles the mercy seat with his own blood. Listen, Hebrews 9, 12. 
neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And he has entered once and forever into the holiest sanctuary of all. Are you with me? Amen. Not with the blood of animal sacrifices. Look at this. But with the sacred blood of his own sacrifice, he alone has made our salvation secure forever. Hallelujah. Your salvation is secure as your high priest lives. As long as you got a high priest that lives, your salvation is secure. As long as your God isn't dead, you've got a high priest that intercedes. As long as your God isn't dead, you've got a God that heals, a God that saves, a God that delivers, a God that raptures. As long as he lives. Hallelujah. Now, you've got a dead God, then you've got a dead intercessor. He said, well, we, you know, we, God's not our intercessor anymore. Christ isn't. Well, your God's dead. We still have a living God. Amen. For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. Oh, listen now. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, a lamb without spot, without a blemish to God, he'll purge you from your conscience, from dead works, to serve, not a dead God, but a living God. Hallelujah. Oh, my. Here's, here's another translation for that verse. Yet how much more will the sacred blood of the Messiah thoroughly cleanse our consciences? For by the power of the eternal spirit, he has offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice that now frees us from our dead works to worship and serve the living God. Amen. Amen. Now, the day of atonement was when the sacrifice was slain. Now, we know Jesus, of course, was not slain in October. He was slain there at the, as a Passover lamb, but he, he, yet his blood would make the atonement. And it would be, it would be there that that would become our day of atonement, the day Jesus gave his life. Matthew 27 and verse 50, I would like you to read with me. He said, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple. This 60 foot tall, as they say, four inch thick veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. Hallelujah. Amen. If you read the next verse, it tells you and the graves opened. Amen. Amen. And many of the bodies of the saints slept when he rent the veil in two. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Isn't it wonderful to know the veil got rent? That veil that separated us, the believer between, separated God and the common man. Come on, somebody. Amen. And made it accessible to all. 
You see, the tearing of the veil at the moment of Jesus' death, this dramatically symbolized that his sacrifice, the shedding of his own blood, was a sufficient atonement for sins. Amen. It signified that now the way had been made into the holiest of holies, and it was open for all. Oh, not just a high priest who can come in once a year, not of a special lineage. Somebody help me preach. Amen. But signify that ever sinner. Ever sinner. Amen. I'm not talking about every holy person. Then you get good enough and go through cleansings and whatever to get there. Ever sinner can come and approach that throne boldly. Boldly, knowing that he's the sacrifice and his blood will cleanse them from every sin and that they have a right into God's presence. Hallelujah. It signifies that the way into the holiest of holies was now open, not just for Jews, not just for a special class, but for all people. Amen. That now this is not something prohibited, but this is now open for every person. Now, nothing between. Can you imagine this? No veil needed. God was no longer hidden behind animal skins. But now the mercy seat came into plain view. We're not just the privileged high priest could enter But anyone, any believer could come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy. Amen. Amen. Let me just say it. If you come past the veil of traditions today and come into the presence of Jesus Christ, you can find mercy. I don't care. You might be a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian. If you're willing to drop your traditions, that's what you did. Some of you were Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, this and that. What did you do? You went past that veil and came into his presence and you found mercy. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Parting there was multiplied to me. There my soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. Now, the veil, now let me just say, That veil, no doubt, no doubt, they got to working on that. I don't know how they repaired it. I don't know if they put up a new one. I don't know if they sewed the other one up. The Bible doesn't say, but no doubt, it got repaired or another one was put up. But the veil that hid God from the eyes of the people, even today, there is another veil put up to keep people out of mercy. And this is is a veil of tradition. And it's thicker than four inches. And it's taller than 60 feet. They make it so big you can't pass over it. So thick you can never get through it. Because why? Traditions try to keep you out of God's presence. 
Amen. Now, Paul would, Paul would tell in 2 Corinthians, and we're not going to read it, but I will paraphrase it. But Paul will tell in 2 Corinthians of how when Moses went and he come in the presence of God, he got the commandments, and he comes back and holds them. The Bible said his, his face shone with such a way they had to put a veil over that face. Amen. To keep the glory of God from blinding them, right? Because they could not look upon him. So they would put a veil over him. Now Paul would use this and he would talk about Israel and he said, their minds were closed and hardened for even unto this day. The same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. So they'll read the Old Testament and there's a veil over it. They cannot see the fulfillment. They cannot see who the real mercy seat is. They cannot see who the real lamb is. They cannot see what the real Sabbath is, what real circumcision is. Are you with me now? The veil has not been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. Only when you come into a new birth. Are you with me? that the veil is taken away. Otherwise, you're going to be seeing God through a Baptist veil. You're trying to get a glimpse through a Methodist veil, a Pentecostal veil, or a message veil. Are you with me? Amen. So whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now the Lord, he said, I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And whenever and wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. Hallelujah. Wherever he is Lord, there's freedom. Are you with me now? Now today there is no temple and its veil is long gone. But this veil referred to in Corinthians was a veil over Moses' face so that the people were not blinded by the glory of God that shone from his countenance. And Paul said it's still there. It closes their minds and their hearts to the truth of the word. So when they read the New Testament, there's a veil that blinds them to see him behind the veil. Now, again, as I said, God rent the veil. But man put another up. And God rent the veil and brought Christ into plain view. That's the original atonement. Is when Christ is in plain view, the mercy seat, the blood, the atonement. But when traditions get involved, they veil the people and they will not have any mercy. Except you come through them unless you get a peek through us. Unless you look through our veil. Come on now, church. Amen. Here's the problem that we're facing today. There is still a veil, but it ain't what God put there. And it ain't what God ordained. Amen. God rent the veil once and for all. Amen. But man puts another up again. So then even today, when the word is read... There's a veil over people's face. Amen. Now, the veil of tradition blinds the eyes of the people 
to sin the atonement. Now remember, this is what the message has come to do, is to take away the veil. Amen, where there's nothing between you, where you see him in plain view. Where you see the word in his fullness. Now the true church started out with the veil being rent and free access to the throne of grace. Amen. There was no novenas needed for a penance. Or, you know, there was no penance required. There was no Hail Mary. There was no preacher with, um, uh, with his own exclusive doctrine saying we got all of Christ and you can't have him. There was none of that. He was open. Amen. They saw him. They saw his power. They saw him as a healer. They saw him as a deliverer. Amen. They saw everything that he was. Come on. They saw him. They saw they had security, eternal security. They saw predestination. Amen. They saw the very plan of God. They exposed the the work of the serpent. It showed Christ was the serpent bruiser. It showed all of these things. Amen. That original church would have Godhead right. Not three gods and not two lords. Not one Lord and a minor Lord. Amen. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. Amen. The true church, that original church, would look in there and see it perfectly. Amen. Through the, the apostle Paul would even take the traditions this, that's on the minds of the people. He would go down through, and this is why he writes the whole book of Hebrew. He is removing the veil. He's unveiling that God. Amen. Now, now listen, let me ask you something, church. What did our prophet preach? That he preached that God was veiled again? No, he preached the mighty God unveiled before you. He preached the unveiling of God. Amen. That was his message, to unveil that God so that we could see him exactly as we saw him in the first age. Now, I'm not talking about Ephesus. I'm talking about the bright age. Come on, somebody. Remember, when the church was pure before they began to fall away, because when they began to fall away, this is where veils began to be put over their faces. And that four-inch, 60-foot-tall veil has been replaced with denominational veils to hide the mercy seat. Now, remember the birth of the church was at Pentecost. And just as Adam was given a bride fresh from the hand of God and was undefiled for a brief span, so was Christ. The last Adam was given a bride pure and fresh at Pentecost, and she remained separate and undefiled for some time. And Brother Branham goes on to explain how long this continued. It was a space of about 20 years. But one day, even as Eve was tempted and seduced by Satan, so the church was contaminated by the entrance of an Antichrist spirit. Now, what was this Antichrist spirit doing? Trying to blind the eyes of the people from seeing what Christ had done. Amen. Now, the church in that first age was already a fallen woman. This is why we are not being returned back 
to, to the age of Ephesus. We're returning back to the way she was on the day of Pentecost. And that happens in this Laodicean age by the Laodicean messenger. Is that right? Amen. As Satan had gotten the Eve before Adam, even now Satan seduced the church, the bride of Christ, before the marriage supper of the Lamb. So here again, and he said, what caused her fall? The deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, watch this. It was Nicolaitanism, the forming of human government within the church to legislate for the people. And the expedience, they took the expediency of human government instead of the word and the spirit. You see, it was denominational veils, the rule of man. First thing you know, it wasn't good enough what Paul said. Now then we got to have we got to have a Tertullian that would come along and say, uh, you know, introduce the Trinity. Yeah. I mean, that through his veil that he put up there, all of a sudden, when you get a look at this mercy seat, you three you see three gods sitting there. Come on. Amen. When you, when, you, when you try to look in through that veil, you're, you're seeing a distorted view. You're looking to the eyes of theologians instead of the Word of God. Somebody with me now? Amen. Now, we're going to get this really straight this morning. But you see, under the Laodicean messenger, there is a bride that returns back to the original atonement, to the unveiled God, and to the unveiled mercy seat. Amen. And I'm going to tell you again, if your mercy seat is empty, if your mercy seat has no blood, you are not showing the mercy seat that Paul pointed us to. It was one that had a high priest who with his own blood cleansed the sin of unbelief. Now, in the Feast of the Trumpets, Brother Branham said, now here's a calling out time. At the sixth seal, when it's open, the persecution struck the Jews in the literal standpoint. Here comes the persecution to the church in the ecclesiastical standpoint. Now, you know, a lot of people got all this all mixed up. They're still waiting on the bride to get power when she gets hunted and persecuted. Well, you know, that's going to give us rapture and faith. And that, let, let me just tell you something. If that would give the rapture and faith, those in the dark ages would have it. Is that right? Never was there such a persecuted people. But our message is not the ox anointing. Amen. Where we labor and sacrifice and go down into death. Somebody help me preach. Our anointing is an eagle anointing. Where we're called out before the tribulation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you see, there's what, here's the difference, church. You've got to look at these things in the right perspective with the veil taken off. Because when you see the veil taken off, you don't see a bride who has to be purged by tribulation. You see a bride who's without spot, without a blemish, or any such thing. Who can condemn her? Why? Because Christ has justified her. Oh, hallelujah. So we're called back where? We're called back 
He said, the bride is already called. Where are we called back to? We're called back to the original atonement. The Sabbaths are over. We're at the end of the ages. We're ready for the Jews to be called. The Feast of Atonement. Oh, church, don't you see that? Called to the Feast of Atonement to recognize the atonement. To recognize the atonement. No more chickens and geese and what they've been doing, but the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And the same for Gentiles. They're pointed back to the original Holy Ghost when the atonement came on the day of Pentecost. Now, the last trumpet to the Jews is the seventh, or the, to the Gentiles is the seventh angel's message, uh, the last gospel trumpet, and it calls us back to the original atonement. And the Hebrew word for atonement means reconciliation. So the message is a message of reconciliation, of bringing the people back to God again, joining the bride and the bridegroom back together. Come on. No more a fallen woman. No more in a strange church, but a bride without spot or wrinkle, ready for the wedding. Amen. To reconcile us back to God so that there is no veil of tradition that separates us from his presence. Now, this prophet of Malachi 4, this Elijah prophet, brought us away from chicken and geese to the real atonement, back to the original, back to an apostolic bride age. Now, the original atonement brings us back to the power of Pentecost. The original atonement brought us back to divine healing, back to a living God, not to some tradition or form with no power in it. God hates a powerless religion. And what do you think the devil wants to do with this message? Pack us down with a bunch of creeds and dogmas and take the power of God out of the church. But I tell you what the gospel, what the message does is returns us back to the original atonement again. Back to the blood of Jesus. Back to the power of that blood. Amen. Amen. Now you can claim to be in the bride age, but I want to ask you something. How in this bride age there's no worship? There's no speaking in tongues? There's no interpretation? There's no divine healing? There's no faith? There's no atonement by blood? But we put atonement and belong into a certain group. That's the same thing denominations do. They put the atonement and belong into Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal. And message people have done the same thing. Put the atonement and belong into a message group who sees things in a certain way, who have a certain tradition, who have a certain little doctrine. And you got to see it through their veil. And when you do, it's all corrupted. It ain't the message Brother Branham preached. And it's because it don't match what Paul preached. Are you with me? But I'm telling you, we have come back to where there's no more chickens and geese and ducks. Hallelujah. Amen. But we've come back to the original atonement of blood. Now, we know, we know, as I've said before, chickens and geese were never an unacceptable atonement, but neither are creeds and dogmas. They were never, they've never provided anything. They are as worthless as offering a chicken or a duck. 
or a geese to take away sins or to change a life. It shows how worthless these so-called revelations are that have no acceptable blood to provide atonement. Worthless sacrifices. Worthless worship. Geese, ducks. About all you can get out of it is a quack quack here and a quack quack there. That's about all you can get out of it. They're quacking. We're, we're the greatest. We're the one. You've got to see through our glasses. You've got to come to us. You've got to be us. You've got to have our revelation. You've got to, if you don't see it like our, we do, they're just ducks. Yes. They're not even good chickens. Good chickens be good eagle food. Amen. But between the sixth trumpet and seventh trumpet, between the last and seventh trump, he says there is a prophet to appear before the Gentiles to call the people back to the original Pentecostal doctrine. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. Amen. And the two witnesses of Revelation appears to the Jews to send them to Jesus while the church is being taken up. Oh, hallelujah. You see, they're working hand in hand. Here we're called back to the atonement, which is the original Pentecostal doctrine. Amen. While the Jews, the the gospel turns to the Jews to send them to Jesus while the bride is being raptured. Amen. Now, so the ministry of Moses and Elijah, as he says in Revelation 11, called their ministry. Calling to Israel out of the Jewish tradition, just as the seventh angel called the bride out of the Pentecostal tradition. Remember, Moses and Elijah called Israel out of the old atonement of the lamb, sheep, and blood, and goats, and sacrifice to the real living sacrifice to the word. And the same thing happens. God calls us out of Pentecostal traditions. Amen. Where the Jews had... The Jews had sheep, blood of sheep and goats for sacrifice. We will not take away sin. Neither will traditions take away your sin. Won't make you ready for a rapture no matter what it's claimed to do. Amen. But even as their last trumpet reveals Christ to the Jews, our last seal, the seventh seal, reveals Christ to the Gentile bride. It breaks the veil of tradition. Amen. Again, he would say, under the same trumpet, exactly the same seal, is what to call the bride out of the Pentecostal and world tradition to the genuine atonement, the word Christ, impersonated, meaning personified in his word here, made flesh among us. So now, let's go back just for a moment. You've been listening good, but let me just bring you down here just a moment. Let's just let's, uh, use an example that I closed on the other day. And you bear with me for a moment. We got people that wasn't here last Sunday. And it's enough, it's enough for me to repeat some of this again. I'm not getting old and I'm not senile. I know what I preached last week and I'm not re-preaching it. But I want to bring it to your attention because I've got a point to make. Look what happened with Jack Coe. The curtain of tradition, the thick veil of denominational theory 
was lifted up just enough to see the mercy seat. And Christ is that seat of mercy. And he got a glimpse of Christ as the healer. Now look in that day and that time, it's no different from this day and time. There's a big thick veil of unbelief over the power of God and divine healing. Even right now, Satan tries to keep one before you ever try a time you approach the throne of grace. He'll put a veil between you and that promise. He'll draw a curtain. No, you can't see him and his atoning blood. Well, Jack, you know, was a Pentecostal preacher. And Jack just, you know, you know, the... The veil of that day was days of miracles are past. You know, God can, but God won't. Not that God will. Or, you know, all, all of the traditions that, that every man, even today, that you fight against. Because when you go to approach this throne of grace for healing, you, you say, oh, where's Brother Branham? Well, that's a tradition. That's not a scriptural doctrine. We don't need Brother Branham. Amen. We need to to know Christ. We don't need a prophet to come pull the veil off. The veil has been rent. Christ did that. But what happens is his traditions get you blinded. Are you with me? Amen. So here again, you know, Jack had all kinds of traditions that he was under. And here, you know, yeah, he believed that God could, but not God would. He believed that God can heal, but, you know, know, he didn't see him as as the real healer. But Jack Coe, that day when he come under the anointing, it was when he saw the wondrous working power that came by the coming of the message. I want to get it to you. The message brought wonder working power. Now, Brother Branham, in his first sermon, when he goes to leave, everybody's crying in the church. He's going out on campaign. I don't know when I'll be back, but I was commissioned by an angel of God. And he said, he gave me a little slingshot of faith. He knew what to put in, the name of Jesus. That was the stone. Amen. Five stone, F-A-I-T-H. Grace, G-R-A-C-E. Come on. All right, so you see he had five stones. The name of Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. Come on, five stones. Amen. Now then, and he's got two strings. Old and New Testament. And he said, Goliath has been going up and down saying the days of miracles are past and there's no such thing as divine healing. But I come with a slingshot of faith to kill that Goliath. Amen. And brother, when he killed Goliath and it was seen there, many others jumped in to kill their own Goliath. That's right. So remember, this is what this prophet was sent to do as John the Baptist was sent. You're sent with a message. 
and the message was to unveil that God, to take the traditions off of him. Now, John the Baptist, remember, there you are sent with a message to forerun the second coming. It showed it was to show the atonement for healing was in full effect. And in it was healing and deliverance and salvation. Well, I tell you, you know, Jack, when he got a glimpse, when he saw the power of the blood, and it took him a drunkard. Can I just stop a minute and just talk about it? it took him a drunkard. You know, he was an alcoholic. He was, he was raised up in an orphanage. And, and I'm talking about Jack Coe. And he was, he was raised up in an orphanage. And, and, um, and, and there he would, uh, you know, was so insecure and turned to the bottle and started drinking, all these other things. One day, he, he decided just for entertainment to go down, sit on the outside of a tent meeting. He'd heard about these holy rollers in there. So he sat down on the outside of a tent meeting and there he listened to the sermon. Before he knew it, there was something that happened to him. You know, and got a hold of him and he went running down to the altar and he gave his life to Christ. And he had such a conversion there, took away his alcohol. You know, you know what would happen? Somebody let him see the atonement. Somebody let him see the power of the blood, what it could do for a sinner. Oh, my. And he, you know, he embraced that. He loved that with, with all his heart. He went back home that night. You know, he was speaking in another language, though it was in a Nazarene camp meeting. He began speaking in tongues, which they didn't believe in. And, he, you know, he comes home speaking in another language. And his, his mama hears him come in and said, Jack, you know, this is the worst I've ever seen you drunk. So when we went in there and said, Daddy said, what was his stepdad? Get Jack to bed. Help the poor old boy said, he'll come to himself in the morning. So he, his, his stepdad went in there and tried to get his clothes off. He's speaking in other tongues and shouting hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. And he gives him his pajamas and puts him in his bed. And he got his hands up in the air and he's shouting glory to God. Hallelujah. Speaking in another language. And, 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 and his mother said to his daughters, her husband said, well, how is he? He said, it's the worst I ever saw him. He'll be better in the morning, though. I got him in the bed. He'll be better in the morning. He'll sleep this drunk off. We got up in the morning, and he, began, he got up in the morning still speaking in other tongues and shouting the glories of God and praising God. What happened to him? He got to look at the atonement. Are you with me? Amen. And, and there, his, his mother, you know, he, and dad sat down at the table. And he said, well, before we eat, we're going to pray. And he began to pray and hear all heaven came down. He began shouting and speaking in other tongues. And, and she, his mother said, Jack, what's got a hold of you? This is, worse. this is the worst drunk we ever seen. What did you drink this time? He said, Mama, I've got some old-time religion. I went down to an old camp meeting there, gave my life to Christ, and I ain't never been the same. After a while, his mother said to her, to her husband, said, I'm going to go down there and see what they've done to my boy. 
So they got there in the meeting, and once they got into the meeting, here comes old, his mother down, you know, or sitting in a pew and watching, it. and the Holy Ghost begins to fall, and people begin to run to the altar, and his mama, Ron Mater, said that to her, the stepfather said, you going down the altar? He said, no. He said, well, then get out of my way, she said. And down there, she ran down to the altar, and she began to scream out to God, I want what Jack's got. Give me what Jack's got. Amen. Oh, my. It so thrilled their hearts that a few days later they were in a, in a, a grocery store trying to pick up some, some groceries there, going down the aisle. They picked up a can of tomatoes, looked at it. When they did, his mother said, you know what that reminds me of, Jack? That reminds me of the blood of Jesus. And up went the can and down the aisle they went to shouting all over that place, screaming the glories of God, speaking in a heavenly language. And they wound up at the, the butcher aisle down there where the meat man was standing there watching them. And he said to Jack, said, you must have been down at that holy roller meeting. He said, I need to, I, I want to go down there. I want some of that. And he come back <laughs> He would come down and said the next night he was that old butcher uh, the, down there at the altar screaming out to God. Amen. Why? Because it was the blood. Oh, yes. It was the blood. I'm going to read you a quote in a minute. Brother Branham said, I wonder if we are sufficiently impressed with the word in our midst. If it stirred his heart, amen, with just a glimpse, what ought it do to people that see him in plain view? Oh, it ought to put a shout down on the inside of glory to God. Hallelujah. I tell you, even now, I think there are those that need what Jack got. Amen. And that's a good look at the blood of Jesus Christ. To see its atoning blood and its power. Now, remember, Malachi 4 was not sent to turn us to a faithless, powerless people. Malachi 4 was to inspire us to believe. Amen. To turn our hearts back to believing again. Amen. The true message preached and demonstrated will make the blood atonement more real. Amen. He'll return you back to real atonement. Come on. Amen. Jack came under that anointing and he could believe God for healing. You know, it made him proactive in that new dispensation where the atonement was being reconfirmed. Remember, it was not a new atonement being made. It was not preaching a new sacrifice. It was not saying, now the bride is the atonement. It was pointing back to Christ, not to a church, not to some woman as the atonement, but to Christ as being the atonement. Amen. Now, you remember the story? Let me just repeat it again. For some of you that wasn't here, he went to the meeting with skeptic. I'll try to spare some of the details, but... You know, went to Brother Branham's meetings. He'd heard about this healings. Now, remember, he got a glimpse. He had some joy. He could see it was the blood. He'd get, they'd get a little glimpse, but he needs the veil taken off a little more. Amen. He doesn't see him as the great healer. So he hears about 
people being healed and delivered. And you remember the story, you know, goes to Brother Brandon's meeting. He's a skeptic. Now, why was Jack a skeptic? Traditions. Why was Jack unbelieving? Traditions. And he sits there criticizing. And here Brother Branham has a man come into the prayer line, has no eyeballs. And Brother Branham tells him, said, in three days you'll, be, you'll have eyeballs formed in your head, then you'll be seeing. Your sight will come to you. Then he passes by Jack on the way out and puts his hand on him. He said, you know, he said, you're not sick. You're just wore down from meetings. But he said, don't be so critical about this. He said, you're called of God to pray for the sick too. Every minister's called of God to pray for the sick. Come on. Every man of God. Even every daughter of God. Amen. These signs should follow them that believe. Not just preachers, but everybody's called. Come on now. We have, we have preachers pray for us because, uh, you know, we have faith that of them walking in God's presence and so on and being gifted of God and anointed and sent and for a purpose and a place and authority to cast out devils. That's a preacher's position and authority. It's a believer's position and authority. And we should have preachers that are believers, shouldn't we? Amen. Preachers that know how to cast Satan out. Preachers that know how to, to pray the prayer of faith. And save the sick. So God can raise them up. Somebody help me preach now. Amen. So he laid his hands on Jack and said, but you know, said, you know, you, you've got a ministry yourself. Don't be so skeptical. Well, that, that made him so full of joy that not only was this available to, to, to Brother Branham, but he also, if he, could, if he could see the atonement, you know, what in the world is it? That we felt healing just laid in Brother Branham. Amen. When Brother Branham, he, he ordained preachers. He sent them out just like Paul did. Come on. It don't just lay in Brother Branham. It lays in the Word. And if we believe the Word, the signs will follow them that believe. And we cannot be a believing church if we have no signs following us. There's got to be healing, salvation, deliverance, the power of God. Hallelujah. It's got to be something that gives you something even more than what Jack had. But still something genuine down on the inside. Something that makes you want to shout. Makes you want to rejoice. Amen. Amen. Well, when Jack, of course, saw them. Three days later, he went back and he saw these, this man. He had eyeballs in his head now, but he still wasn't seeing. By that evening, he was running all over the building, shouting the glories of God. Now, the prophet, can I just say it? Pull that curtain back of tradition. Just enough for Jack to see he's a healer. Jack was so inspired until he became fearless in his faith. 
inspiration. There's no anointing. There's no movement of the power of God. You haven't looked behind the veil yet. You say, well, I got to look behind the veil and I didn't have an experience. You didn't look behind the veil. You never saw Jesus. You said it with your cold, dried confession. Never knowing the reality of the power of God. This is something real. I don't know where we got the license to become lukewarm, cold, and powerless. I wonder where we, we, we got that, that that was spiritual. Just be a lukewarm people who hardly could say amen, who never shouted, never rejoiced, never had victory in their life. Are you with me? I don't know where we got that from. It wasn't from the message. Amen. It wasn't from this prophet. It wasn't from what he preached. He preached the power of God and the salvation. He preached the gospel that works. He didn't preach a psychology. Amen. He preached the power of God. Changing a life. Not you just morphing into something different. Go through these stages and whatever. But the power of God. Amen. Jack was so inspired. He became so fearless with what he saw. He was so inspired. Before he prayed for a man with glasses, he beat him over with a hammer and anvil. Before that he prayed for a man with crutches, he would take an axe and chop him into pieces. Amen. Before, you know, again, you know, as, as I quoted to you last week, you know, he's a big man, a man in the wheelchair come up and he prayed for him. He lifted him up out of the chair and told him, Run! But he didn't do what he said. He crumpled back in that wheelchair. Well, that wasn't enough for Jack. Jack didn't say, oh, well, you know, go on. No. He grabbed him up again. And he said, I said, run. And he let him go and he crumpled back down in the chair again. He grabbed him up the third time and he said, I didn't say fall. I said run. And he kicked him in the rear and he ran all over the building. You say, Brother Tim, why do you bring that up? Well, I'm not Jack, but I wish God would kick a lot of you in the rear to get you out of your crippled, backslidden, cold, formal condition. God, give us a kick in the rear and say, run. I said, run this race. I said, put everything you got into it. I said, move on in the glories of God. Somebody's going to believe this message. Somebody's going to stand for truth. Hallelujah. It wasn't Jack Cole that was a healer. It was God that was a healer. It wasn't William Branham that was a healer. Brother Branham didn't pull back the veil to show you himself. He, He pulled back the veil to show you Christ, the healer. Christ, the Savior. Christ, the rapture one. Now, was the lamb. And Brother Branham said, I wonder if we are properly or sufficiently impressed 
inspired by this word. You say, Brother Tim, all you're trying to do is turn us back into a Pentecostal church. No, sir. You're wrong. I am not trying to turn you back into a Pentecostal church. Brother Branham did that. It was his job to turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the fathers of Pentecost. Somebody help me preach. Amen. I'm not trying to do it. I'm just trying to say what he said. I'm trying to point to the same atonement. Listen, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said. How tragic it is the first age did not listen to the Spirit, but instead it listened to man. But thank God in the last age, how many believe we're in the last age? There will be a group rise up, the true bride of the last day. She'll listen to the Spirit. And in that day of gross darkness, the light will return by the pure word. And we will return to the power of Pentecost to welcome back the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, my. Brother Tim, you're just trying to. You're just trying to turn us back to days of miracles. You know, we, we got something greater than miracles. We, we got the opening of the word. Well, let me tell you what the opening of the word did. It ripped the veil so we could see a living God. The high priest. Now, Brother Branham preaching the seals, this was his expectations. He said in the fifth seal, I'm going to speak it in, I'm not going to speak it in his name. I'm going to speak it in the revelation of my faith. What happened in Sabina Canyon the other day, that was the sword coming. I believe the hour is approaching when missing limbs will be restored and the glorious power of the creator. I believe if he can make a squirrel appear that has no, here, here if a man or woman just got a part missing, that and that's an animal in itself. Oh, he's God. Now, this is what Brother Branham believed. Amen. He said, I believe. Amen. That the hour is approaching when missing limbs. Let me just say, amen. Missing cancer. Amen. Hair that was missing come back. A missing brain bleed. A missing crippled condition. Somebody help me preach. Amen. We're already seeing things missing. Amen. And we're seeing things restored. Come on, somebody. We're already seeing a God in action. I'm going to say, we haven't yet begun to fight. We haven't yet begun to see the end of his miracles. We haven't begun to see the end of his power, the end of his glory. And oh, if you can get a look beyond the veil, and you will see a Christ. Of mercy, a throne of grace. Brother Branham said, and hear ye him. There's where God's trying to get his church just to say to this mountain, be moved, and it will move. Authority, sons of God. The whole creation's groaning, waiting for manifestations of the sons of God, waiting to a spot where sickness will be arise, and it will be that way. The blind will receive their sight. 
deaf and dumb. He said, we pray for them now, but then you'll command it. Jesus didn't say these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall pray for the sick. They shall, they shall cast out devils. Not I will, they will. He said, they won't just pray for them. They will cast him out. Oh, God, will you help, help brother so-and-so? Will you please, Lord? Will... He already helped him. Amen. He already provided the atonement. Amen. What he's waiting on you to do is cast him out. Amen. Where is there a church that will arise and say, Satan, you cannot stand in the presence of the living God. You cannot have our children. You cannot have our grandchildren. You can't have our husband. You can't have our wives. Hallelujah. You cannot have and hold back sickness and hold sickness on people and hold back their health. Are you with me? You cannot do that for in his name. I've got a glimpse into the holiness of holies. And in his name, we shall cast Satan out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just like the other day when one of our girls there took a spirit there and we cast it out. Amen. It's got to go in the name of Jesus Christ. When he began to talk, say, you can't have her. I'll tell you what, friends. I've heard enough of him. I've heard enough of him. I said, I've heard enough of him. So I put my hand over her mouth and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, hold your peace. Shut up. Because why? He don't have any reason to talk in this church. His voice has no sway in this church. But if he speaks, we're casting him out. Hallelujah. Because we've got a glimpse more than a glimpse. morning and find help there's somebody in there and it's not unapproachable but the veil has been opened by the blood of Jesus Christ get a good look behind the veil get a good look if you want deity in your midst welcome and receive the word Don't let anything get between you and that word. Let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord together.
be the name of my rock. Blessed be the name of my God. Amen. Who has a sword and goes to war. You're not in this battle alone, little children. You've got a high priest that can be touched by the feeling of your family, for your needs, for your loved one, for your situation. Lord of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. There's none like you, Lord. You're, you're just awesome. You're the way maker. You're the need supplier. Hallelujah. Let that choir come again. He's the way maker. He opens the way into the holiest of holies. Right into his presence. Amen. Oh, if Jack, Jack still believed in three gods. Jack still baptized in Trinity. Jack didn't understand serpent seed in the fall. Jack couldn't see a lot of things that the seven seals opened up for us. Jack couldn't see it. All he got was a glimpse. And he made that glimpse work. And we're going to be a people today that gets the whole view. And it don't work for us. Now I'll tell you what your prophet said. He said, if I belong to church where he, he isn't the same yesterday, today, and forever, and where his works are not being done, he said, I'd leave that church, and I'd find a church where he is. You are morally obligated to come out of the old dead systems of man, traditions. Oh, this is my mama's church, my daddy's church, and we've had our nice little church here. Forget it! Sit there in your lukewarm condition. Forget it. Go back to look into this message and you'll see an unveiled Christ who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you want deity in your midst, welcome and receive the word. Don't let anything, anybody get between you and that word. I wonder if we're sufficiently impressed with the word that's in our midst. When Jack got a look, it so impressed him. Oh, you know where we're at today? We're in the hour of the delay. Or men, not me, men have said the Lord is delayed is coming. I'm saying God's right on time. He's never too late. But men have said he's delayed it. And they're thinking more about staying here than they are leaving here. And they're making more plans to stay here than they are leaving here. You know what we did 40 years ago? We had our plans on leaving and not on staying. And here we are, and a lot of people didn't make no plans to have to be here as long as we are. They got out of balance. 
And where do we get? We get over here at this other end. What do we do? We get out of balance. People get cold, lukewarm, formal. There's no prayer life. There's no zeal. There's no agonizing with God to fulfill his word. These are quotes from the prophet. He said they vulture down like vultures. Eating on every little carrion that comes along. You know why? Hungry kids, hungry children eat from a garbage can. We don't have to eat from a garbage can. We got a message in this day. But you know, outside of the veil, on this side where there's a veil in there, is somebody with me? The manna, the angel's food, breeds worms and stinks. But if you come beyond the veil into the mercy seat, the manna there never gets old. And every generation can get a bite of the same manna that Paul put up with the same experience, the same Holy Ghost, the same power of God. It'll be yours. It's for you, your children, for them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Will you love him this morning? How many believes he's the way maker? Amen. He's the way maker. Amen. I just, some can just go ahead and make fun of this. But I say we're Pentecostal. Believing people. I believe he's the way maker. I believe he is here today. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. Yes, sir. Even when you don't see it, he's working. He never stops working. He's working this morning on your behalf because he's a high priest who intercedes. Even now, even for you on the wrong side of the veil, he's interceding for you. Come unto you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you, Jesus. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. 